following is a message by a guest speaker given at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. You can uh, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. Thank you for that warm welcome, by the way. And uh, Joelle, if you invited me based on my resume, you would never invite me. Just so that's clear. It is really, really good to, uh, to be with you. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to come uh, was to thank you as a church for being a part of our family of churches known as Sovereign Grace. And um, throughout this weekend, uh, those that travel with me as well as myself, we have we've just been among family. You are family to us. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. You're, you're part of our family of churches. And in, in many ways, it's, it's felt like being home. Not only because of the grace of God on your life. I, I was um, telling someone at the break, I love coming to Jamaica. It's my fourth trip. And the reason I love it is because of the people here. The Jamaican people are, they're just warm and welcoming and beautiful people. So thank you for receiving us in the, in the way that you have. Well, we're so grateful. Um, I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm grateful that you're a part of Sovereign Grace because you actually strengthen us as a family of churches. Uh, your gospel presence here in, in the Kingston area and in Jamaica, uh, it, it makes a huge difference. Your commitment to preach the gospel your commitment to apply the gospel to your life, your desire to reach out to the lost with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that strengthens us as a family of churches as our churches do that together. And so, so thank you for being a, a gospel community who is centered in the gospel and who is committed to the gospel. I'm also grateful for your, your heart for mission as a church and uh, Sheldon prayed this way, appreciate your prayer just in terms of the planting of churches. May more churches be planted in Jamaica, not to build sovereign grace. We're not interested in numbers, but to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we just want to come alongside of you in that because you know how to plant churches in Jamaica. We, we as sovereign grace, if you can say it that way, as a leadership team, we don't know how, but you know how. And so we'll just learn from you and support you and pray for you and do what we can to help you in that. Let me just say one other thing that I've really been struck by uh, yesterday as we spent time together and just this morning as we sing. You are a people who have a clear heart for the Lord. You, you love the Lord. That's, that's very evident as I spend time around you, as those with me spend time around you. And your example helps me love the Lord. It, it strengthens my love for him and my faith for him. So those are just some of the reasons I wanted to come. Thank you for your invitation, Joel. Thank you for your friendship, by the way. Uh, breakfast was sweet yesterday. Um, anytime I can get time with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Thank you, though, for inviting us, and thank you for having us, and thank you for being a part of Sovereign Grace. Okay, Joel, uh, Joel mentioned that uh, he asked me to speak on the spiritual gifts, and that's why I've had you turn to 1 Corinthians 12. The title of this sermon, if you're interested in titles, is Spirit-Filled People Using Their Spiritual Gifts. Spirit-Filled People Using Their Spiritual Gifts, and 
We're going to read the first 11 verses there in 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. May God bless the preaching of his word. You and I, we live in a physical, material, traffic-jammed, schedule-packed, fast-paced world. We daily feel the pressures of work and of raising our families, of providing for ourselves. Our cars break down. The roofs on our houses need replaced. And as we get older, like me, we have to go to the doctor a little more often because our bodies are aging. See, all of, they, all of those things and things like those, they, they are daily reminders that remind us that you and I live in a fallen, material, physical world. And we can't allow those daily reminders to lull us into forgetting that as Christians, you and I, we are spiritual people. If we forget as Christians that we are spiritual people, meaning that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God, we will live unaware of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Richard Lovelace says this, the failure to recognize the Holy Spirit as personally present in our lives is widespread in the churches today. Even when Christians know about the Holy Spirit doctrinally, they have not necessarily made it a deliberate point of getting to know Him personally. A normal relationship with the Holy Spirit should at least approximate the Old Testament experience described in Psalm 139. A profound awareness that we are always face to face with God. That as we move through the presence of His Spirit in this most real and powerful... Excuse me. As we move... Um, let me start all over. That as we move through the presence of His Spirit in this most real and powerful factor in our daily environment, that underneath the momentary static of events, conflicts and problems, and even excursions into sin, He, meaning the Spirit, is always there. Christian, do you believe that? Do you believe the Spirit is always there? 
See, we can't allow the demands of living in a material, physical world to numb us to the reality that as Christians, you and I are indwelt. We are filled with the Spirit of God. We are spiritual people. Now, I mention that because in this letter, there are a few times when Paul addresses the Corinthians as spiritual people, including our text. He, he begins this opening section of, the, of this section of the letter, chapters 12 through 14, where he's going to talk about the gifts. And he starts that by reminding the Corinthians that they are spiritual people. He does that in verses 2 and 3 by reminding them of who they were. He tells them that they were pagans. They were pagans who were being led astray by mute idols. But now they are people who declare that Jesus is Lord. And it's clear from verse 3 that no one can declare Jesus is Lord unless they have been regenerated by the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and and can declare that Jesus is Lord. Did you see that in verse 3? Look at verse 3 again. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. See, this verse is very important to us for for us to understand the the remaining verses in the text that I just read in in a couple of different ways. First, Before Paul narrows his discussion and he talks about the spiritual gifts, he actually references the broad work of the Spirit. And one of those broad works of the Spirit is seen there in verse 3. It's a reference to the regenerating work of the Spirit. Jesus taught that in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where he said, those born of flesh are flesh, right? And those born of spirit are spirit. He's talking about the regenerating work of the Spirit. It's a reminder that you and I, we were once, as Ephesians 2 says, dead in our sins. We had no ability to choose God. He needed to choose us. And the Spirit acts upon us and regenerates our hearts so that we can be convicted of sin and need and be shown our need for a Savior and in response place our faith in Jesus Christ for His good work in the gospel. We, we sang earlier, I love that song that we sang, it was the third song, When the Place Came Alive, that, that old hymn. Yeah, I was like, all right, now we're singing. We sang there about God being a God of miracles, right? Before we talk about the gifts, this is the greatest miracle we will ever know. That is the regenerating work of the Spirit that brings us to death, to life. That transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. None of that happens without the power and work of the Spirit in our lives. So he references the broad work of the Spirit before we go and narrow the discussion on the spiritual gifts. Second, we know from verse 3 that at our conversion, we are actually indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, He does live within us Which is why Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, in present tense language, very important to get the present tense, be filled with the Spirit. Which means that we as Christians are indwelt by the Spirit of God and we have a daily need to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we can live 
more aware of his presence and power in our lives. My point is this. Christians are spiritual people who live in a physical material world that daily need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can experience His presence and His power in our lives. Let me ask you a question. Do you desire to experience more of the Spirit in your life? Do you desire more of His presence and more of His power? There are many ways that you can do that. One of them, we see clearly in our text, is to use our spiritual gifts. Because when we use our spiritual gifts, there is, as verse 7 says, a manifestation of God's presence. We are aware of God's presence. Now this is relevant for you as a church because you as a church and we in Sovereign Grace as a family of churches, we are not cessationists. We don't believe the, the gifts have ceased. Rather, we believe that God has given the gifts to the church and they're to continue to be used until Christ returns, which is why we call ourselves continuationists. So what Paul is about to say here in these verses, it's important to you and it's important to our family of churches. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four characteristics of the gifts and then we're going to look at two gifts in particular, healing and the gift of prophecy. Okay, first characteristic, number one, Gifts are given and empowered by God. Go back to verses 4 through 6. We're going to read those and then verse 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Then verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What's striking in these verses, if you noticed it, is that every member of the Trinity is mentioned. The Holy Spirit in verse, verses 4 and 11, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God in verse 5, God the Father in verse 6. And did you note in verses 4 through 6, before there's a reference to each member of the Trinity, this word varieties of is used. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activity. So Paul is saying that God has given his church a diversity, a variety of gifts, and they are to be used in a way that, that, that it reflects the Trinity itself. That, the, that diversity has roots in the Trinity itself. See, each member of the Trinity is fully God. You know that? And each member of the Trinity also has a, a, a distinct role or service that that person of the Trinity performs. According to verse 11, God has given each of us gifts that are empowered by the Spirit, and those gifts are to be used to serve others. And when we do that, what, what do we do? We, we, we reflect a massive truth. We reflect the, the, the diversity and the unity that is found in the triune Godhead itself. That's a massive truth that moves beyond just you using your gifts, which you should do. So it's important that we don't miss the theological construct there in verses 4 through 6 in looking at the gifts so, so that this doesn't happen. So that the gifts don't become about us. Rather that the gifts become about God. And they reflect our Trinitarian God. And that we use our gifts to serve others in a way that brings God glory. Maybe you come from a 
a church like I did that didn't believe in the gifts. And so you think about these gifts and you're just, you're just not so sure. You're reluctant because you've seen error. Or maybe you come from a Pentecostal past and you've seen a, the same error where, where gifts are used in a way that they draw attention, attention to people. And they, they, they bring praise to people. See, that is an error that we're seeking to avoid, that you're seeking to avoid as a church, that we're seeking to avoid as a family of churches because we want to use our gifts in a way that Scripture tells us to use them in a way that reflects the diversity and unity of the triune Godhead. That we use them in a way that does serve others, but we use them in a way that brings Christ all the glory. Because this is His church, and He deserves all the glory. Now, it it also seems intentional in those verses that we just looked at, verses 4 through 6 and verse 11, that twice Paul says that the gifts are empowered by God. They're empowered by the Spirit. So that means we are dependent upon God. We need God's power. We need the, the Spirit to empower our gifts to use them effectively. But here's the question. What, what really are these gifts that God empowers in our lives? I like this definition just broadly of the gifts by Boyd Hunt. He says spiritual gifts are God empowering His people through the Holy Spirit for kingdom life and service, enabling them in attitude and action to live and minister in a manner which glorifies Christ. I like that definition because it tells you you each have a role in kingdom life and service. You all are to be ministers of Christ and we're to do so in a way that brings Christ much glory. Now, there, there are some gifts that, have, that look like more natural abilities. The gift of administration that we've been served by this weekend. The gift of of service. You find that in, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 28. Others look a little bit more supernatural, if you can call it that. The gift of prophecy is, is one, verse t- in 10. Uh, the gift of healing in verse 9. But the point is this. The, the word gifts, as it's used in the New Testament, describes a, a broad and diverse, diverse abil- group of abilities and talents and gifts that God has given you so that you can minister to others as a, as a minister of Christ For the glory of Christ alone. So spiritual gifts are given and empowered by God. And and each of you sitting here who is a Christian, each of you sitting here has gifts that are to be used to participate in kingdom life and in ministry and in gospel mission. That's the first characteristic. Number two, gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. Look again at verse 7. And Joel mentioned this verse, and I'm going to read it again. I think God wants to draw our attention to this verse. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So one of the ways that God manifests His presence among us is that when we use our spiritual gifts, we use them in a way that we experience the presence and the power of God. Max Turner says this, the thread running through the whole discussion in chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, is that the phenomena Paul lists are regarded as events in which the Spirit is made manifest. That is, the Spirit actively coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression. 
They are workings of God in which the presence and activity of divine power is judged to be a matter of immediate perception. So God loves to fill ordinary people like you and me with His Spirit and to give us power to use our gifts in a way that serves others and in a way that we are all aware that God is among us, that God's presence is here. So if, if you answered my question earlier, yes, I desire more of God's presence in my life. I desire more of God's power in my life. One of the ways that you can do that, have that experience, is to use your spiritual gifts to serve others. See, we experience more of God's presence as we, as we use our spiritual gifts. One of the things that we, um, I may mention this again, that we do at our church, at Covenant Fellowship Church, is um, on the fourth Sunday of every month, after the service ends, we invite people up to pray for healing. And uh, typically on that, actually even on a Sunday morning when one of the pastors forgets to make the announcement, people come up and say, hey, it's the fourth Sunday. We want prayer for healing. And typically there are several people in our church that do come forward because they, they need healing. And there's one Sunday, it was just a, a few months ago, uh, there's a group of people praying for our service before, a group of our members, and a, a woman by the name of Karen Massington uh, just had this impression that we were to pray for people that morning who had gastrointestinal uh, problems and that there were people there that had diverticulitis in particular and that God wanted to heal them. So we prayed about that, and the, the pastor that closed the, the meeting, uh, closed the meeting and then said, we're going to have a prayer, for, prayer time for healing if you want to come forward. And by the way, some of our prayer team that just had an impression that there's some here that have GI problems, and this is in particular, some here who have diverticulitis, and you're suffering with it, and that God may want to heal you. And so the, the ministry time begins, and I, 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 I saw a woman, I prayed for a woman who I'd never met before, and she came up to me and she said, um, I'm here visiting with one of your members, and I need to be very upfront. I'm a cessationist. I don't, I don't believe the gifts are for today. And at the end of the, the service, or when I heard that you were praying for people for healing, I thought about going up, I thought, you know, that's too general, but when that pastor said, people who are suffering for diverticulitis, I knew the Lord was speaking to me. That's my problem. I've been suffering with it for years. And so I'm up here now, and I know my friend's looking at me saying, what are you doing up here? You're a cessationist. (laughs) But I believe the Lord wants me here, and would you pray for me? And so I just prayed a simple prayer that the Lord would heal her. I don't know whether the Lord healed her or not. I don't. What, What I... What I, the reason I'm telling you that story is because for her, there was this undeniable experience of the presence of God for her. That was very, that was very personal for her. That she got up out of her seat, which was hard for her, and came up and asked for prayer. See, God does manifest His presence among us. Gifts are a manifestation of God's presence when we use Him for his glory. Okay, third characteristic. Gifts are for the common good. We saw that in verse 7. We've, I've just read verse 7, but you see that, uh, that, that the gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, the, the gifts are given to serve others, and they're given to strengthen 
Grace Family Church as you use your gifts here. To all of the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4 and in 1 Peter 4, they're all given for the common good. It's another reminder that God gives us gifts not to draw attention to us, not to make the gifts about us, but to use them in a way that draws attention to serving others. And when others are served, then God receives all the glory. That's what gifts are about. Again, Max Turner says, the gift of the Spirit to believers affords the whole experiential dimension of the Christian life, which is essentially charismatic in nature. These charismatas, which, these charismata, which are gifts, operate at individual and corporate levels, enabling a life-giving, joyful understanding, jo- joyful understanding of and ability to apply the gospel, impelling and enabling different services to others in the church and driving and empowering the mission to proclaim the good news. Which leads to my fourth and final characteristic. Gifts must stay connected to the gospel. Gifts must stay connected to the gospel. One of the, the errors that we can be prone to make, and one of the errors that, can, that, that the charismatic world and the Pentecostal world can be prone to make, and I think this is unintentional, is to separate the gifts from the gospel functionally by putting way too much emphasis on the gifts so that the gifts move more into the center and the gospel moves more to the periphery. That's that's what we have to be careful of. Graham Cole says this in in a wonderful book entitled He Who Gives Life. It's a a book on the Holy Spirit. He says, J.C. Ryle, J.C. Ryle's an old guy from England. J.C. Ryle suggested that the gospel may be spoiled in a number of ways we can spoil the gospel by substituting for christ's saving work on the cross for example our good deeds as pelagius did we can spoil christ's work by adding to it for example faith plus circumcision as in the galatians error we can also spoil the gospel by disproportion when secondary biblical accents become primary. For example, clerical clothing. I'm especially grateful for that one, by the way, just so you'd be aware. We can spoil the gospel when the New Testament sense of proportion is lost and pneumatology becomes a primary, sorry for the spelling area, but becomes a primary emphasis rather than Christology. The, the idea in some charismatic circles, for example, that the major compass point for moving ahead is in active ministry is not the cross, but the charismata, the gifts, is extremely troubling. I agree with him. See, we, we can spoil the gospel by disproportion, and we must not put a disproportional emphasis upon the spiritual gifts. Let, let me just illustrate this for you. Just the way that this letter is written tells you that the gifts exist in our life to support, to encourage the work of the gospel in our lives. So he begins this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, saying, I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified, right? And so he talks about these different topics he's writing to them about. He's talking about disunity in the church. He's talking about lawsuits among believers. He's talking about sexual immorality. He's talking about idolatry. Those are all issues as he addresses them. What's the one thing that he knows as he makes his way through each of those issues? It is Christ, and it is him crucified. 
So that truth of Christ and Him crucified, it threads through the entire letter because that's the one thing that he knows. And then he gets to the chapter 15 and he begins to wrap up the letter and he said, I deliver to you that which is of first importance in verse 3. Does he say that the gifts are of first importance? No, what does he say? That of first importance is that Christ died for our sins, right? And he goes on and he talks about his resurrection and his ascension. See, the, the point is this, that this section, verses 12 through 14, what does Paul know as he makes his way through these chapters? It is Christ and him crucified. What's most important as we talk about the gifts? It's not the gifts. It's Christ died for our sins. In other words, the gifts work in our lives. They're intended to encourage the work of the gospel in each of our lives. So do this, brothers and sisters. Keep the gifts connected to the gospel so there's no disproportion. Okay, let's, let's look at two gifts. Um, let me just say this. As continuationists, we believe that the gifts today are to be used until Christ returns in a way that strengthens Grace Family Church, strengthens Sovereign Grace Churches, and in a way that brings God glory. So let me talk about the gift of healing. The gift of healing was, is seen there in verse 9. And let, let's be very clear about this. People who have the gift of healing, they do not heal. They don't heal. God heals. God is the only one who has the kind of authority and power to heal. But it seems that he uses people who have the gift of healing to heal them at times. Not every time, but based on his sovereign will. I mentioned um, that every fourth Sunday we pray for folks who want prayer for healing at our church. And uh, just another story, we have stories of people being healed. Uh, We prayed for a woman who had uh, lived with a blood disease for uh, at least a decade or maybe 15 years. Her blood chemistry was off, and uh, the, the doctors had trouble controlling it. She had been to a lot of doctors, and she had spent a lot on treatment. And she just came up that morning with her husband, and we prayed just a simple prayer that God would heal her blood disease. And it was two weeks after that, she went to the doctor, and as they typically did, they brought they draw out a blood to see how her blood chemistry is. And they said, what, what happened? Your, your blood chemistry is normal. And so, okay, great, they rejoiced in that. But she, she wanted to wait, I think it was another month or so, before she went back to the doctor again. They drew the blood again, and her blood chemistry was normal. She was rejoicing that God had healed her. There was nothing dramatic about the prayer. It was just a simple prayer. You wouldn't have thought the person that had the gift of healing could heal. But you do know that God healed her. God heals today and after we close the service we're going to have a just a time of ministry if you want to be prayed for and if you want prayer for healing please come and we would love to pray for you okay the gift of prophecy one more gift to look at the gift of prophecy prophecy is listed there in verse 10 as you well know it's also listed as a gift of the spirit in romans 12 6 and in first corinthians 14 1 in fact flip over in your bibles or your app to 1 Corinthians 14.1. Let's just look at verses 1 through 5. We looked at these verses yesterday, if you were at the, the, the meeting that we had. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So we see there the gift of prophecy mentioned in verse 1. What is the gift of prophecy? How do you define it? Well, the definition that we use at our church is this. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Now, you've got to be careful with that word revelation. We don't mean by the word revelation that anything spoken today is going to be added to the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture is closed. In other words, any prophetic words that you, these words you hear today, you're not going to find them in your Bible this afternoon. They're not going to be there because the canon of Scripture is closed. So you say, why use the word revelation in your definition? It's because it's the word that Paul uses in this chapter. Go to verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, just as we're together here this morning, each one has a hymn. We sang this morning a lesson. I'm trying to give a lesson, a revelation. There's that word, a tongue, and interpretation. Then go to verse 30. If a revelation, there's the word again. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. In other words, in that those two verses, Paul links that word revelation with the gift of prophecy, which is why we use that word in our definition. In other words, the prophecy is simply a person reporting what they believe that God has, has brought to mind. See, what's amazing about that, and Joel mentioned this earlier, is that our God, who, who runs the universe... Our God, who can seem distant to us at times, He desires to speak to us. As was mentioned, the primary way that God speaks to us, and you've got to get this right, the primary way God speaks to us is through His Word. In other words, you shouldn't be seeking God speaking to you through prophetic words. You should be seeking God to speak to you through His Word. That's what's got to be primary. That's what's got to be right. can't get that out of proportion. But at times, God will speak to you through prophetic words. And he does that for a wonderful purpose, which we see in verse 3. What is the purpose of prophecy? Why does God give this gift to the church? Excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So God gives this gift to the church so that his people can be built up they can be encouraged maybe you need con- console you need to be consoled i would encourage you to read this chapter all the way through because one of the things that encourages me every time i, I'm, I read through it i'm affected by this is this repetitive language that you find here in first corinthians 14 six times the language of being built up is used. You see that in verses 3, 4, 5, 12, 17, and 26. And we believe that Scripture is inspired by God. And so this is God speaking to us, saying to us that He desires not to tear His people down, but He desires to build us up. 
And that's real important for us. I think most of us, because if you're like me, we can have this, these times in our lives when we have, as John Owen the Puritan called, hard thoughts about God. We can have hard thoughts about Him. We can be going through trial or financial loss or relational tension or relational loss. And we can begin to believe that God is, has had it with us and that He's just punishing us. That can be a hard thought about God. Or we can have a week, and I've had these weeks where it just seems like every word that comes out of my mouth is sinful. Every motivation seems to be sinful. And I can think that God is just disgusted and had it with me. You can have those hard thoughts about God as well. And then we come to a meeting like this. And a prophetic word is shared And it speaks right into your life. And you're reminded that God is not punishing you. That He's not against you. But rather He desires to build you up. At Covenant Fellowship a few years ago, we were going, we were preaching expositorily through 1 Thessalonians. And you get to chapter 5. You know that verse near the end of chapter 5? Do not despise prophecies. That verse, we we were, Jared Mellinger, our senior pastor, preached that morning. And after that, Um, After that preaching event, we invited people forward if they wanted to receive prophetic ministry. And I want to tell you a story about a woman in our church who sent me this. She said, after the service, I waited patiently for someone to pray for me. When it was my turn, the woman and I only exchanged names. Now, keep in mind, our church is about a thousand people. So there are times when we just don't, we're meeting new people, the people don't know one another. It's very embarrassing for this pastor who who introduces myself to someone and says, how long have you, are you new? Is this your first time here? And they say to me, I've been, I've been coming for five years, actually. That's, that's a tough interaction, right? So my point is that they didn't know one another. She touched my arm and began to pray. Her first words, they brought tears to my eyes. She said to me, I sense you're in an, in an anticipation of something, that you are feeling anxiety related to whatever it is you're anticipating. She mentioned that the worship music on that morning touched me. However, as much as I wanted to, I was just unsure about how to cast my worries aside and trust God completely with the situation I was facing. She prayed that I would lift my gaze to God and trust Him entirely. She prayed that I would shed the anxiety that I I had like clothing and have faith that God would see me through this situation. And then she says this, I wept after because what she could have not have known is that on the following day, I was about to start a brand new job in a brand new field after only days earlier leaving a job and field I loved. I had been feeling an enormous amount of anxiety about leaving the job I loved and the transition to a new one. I couldn't sleep at night. I was so worried and I failed to pray to God for help until the day before that Sunday service. God spoke to me through prophecy that morning. And He let me know that I was not alone. And that He heard my prayer. And as I went into my week, that He was with me. The purpose of prophecy is to build you up. It's to encourage. It's to console. It's to make you aware that God is near that He loves you and desires to care for you. 
Let me just mention a, a couple of limitations with the gift of prophecy, because I think it's important that you understand these. I'm just going to mention two that I want to draw attention to. The gift of prophecy, if you have the gift of prophecy, for example, it is affected by our finite and fallen humanness. So our ability to give and receive prophetic words is affected by the fact that we're finite, fallen, sinful creatures. That's why I'm so grateful for 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9 in my Bible. It says, for we, we know in part, right? And we prophesy in part. I'm grateful for that. So our ability to give and receive prophetic words is limited and imperfect. And so there's a distinction between prophecies that are found in our Bibles, those are infallible, compared to those prophetic words, even those that you heard this morning, those are fallible. They they are not going to be added to the canon of Scripture, which means that those with the gift of prophecy have to live with aware of the fact that you can make mistakes. We don't desire mistakes. We were praying before the service, and we weren't praying, Lord, give us mistakes today. We weren't praying that way, which I hope you're grateful for, because we want to serve you. But they can happen. And if you have the gift of prophecy, I believe the Lord's given it to you, and you make a mistake, it's an opportunity for you to respond in humility. And if you respond in humility, it will engender trust. Now, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. Maybe you don't want me praying for you later. No, I'm just joking. Let me tell you one. We, we, it was about a, a month before Christmas, and we gathered our staff at Covenant Fellowship, about 15 to 20 folks, and our senior pastor was just leading a time of prayer for them. And I just felt like the Lord just gave me this impression that there was someone there who was, um, just had a lot of trepidation and a lot of anxiety about the holidays because they knew they were going to encounter an extended family member where the relationship was un, un, unreconciled. And they just weren't looking forward to it. And so uh, the, the Lord, we just were supposed to pray for them, and the Lord wanted to prepare them and give them faith for that encounter. And so I asked Jared if I could share that. He said, share it. So I, I shared what I just shared with you, and I asked, does that apply to anybody here? And they did what you did. They just stared at me, those people. And so I asked in my pride, you sure it doesn't apply to anybody here? And no one raised their hand. And I, I just said, you should know that I just miss it at times. And it was later in the, in the afternoon when there was a knock on my door from one of our staff members and she poked her head in and said, I really appreciated how you responded in that moment. Just saying that, that you can make mistakes at times because that, that helps me to trust you. See, if you make a mistake, and I pray that you don't, but if you do, respond humbly because that kind of response engenders trust. Now, because the gift of prophecy is, is, fine, is affected by our finite and fallen humanness, you need to take any prophetic word you receive and you need to submit it to Scripture. You need to submit it to God in prayer. You need to submit it to, to, to wise counselors, godly counselors around you. We want to be very clear about this. We don't want people making life-changing decisions about their lives based on prophetic words. Scripture doesn't teach that. And we want to honor Scripture in that. Okay, the second limitation is this. It's very simple. The gift of prophecy has no authority, right? No authority. There's only one authority in our lives, and that is the Word of God. We submit to the authority of the Word of God, and the gift of prophecy submits to the, the authority of the Word of God. And because of those two limitations, this gift, the gift of prophecy uniquely, especially in the gathered church, it needs to be governed. 
It needs oversight. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. Look at, look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. That, that weighing means you're to, you're to weigh it, you're to discern it, you're to submit it to God in prayer. Is this anything that's supposed to be for me? But who are the others? Well, the, the context here is the gathered church. So in one sense, all of us have a responsibility to weigh what is said. But uniquely, the elders of the church, here, Joel and Sheldon and Sean, they have a responsibility to bring order to the worship service. That's what Paul's trying to do here in 1 Corinthians 14. And so they have a responsibility to weigh what is said in terms of prophetic words that are shared. And you might think, well, doesn't that kind of oversight, doesn't that kind of governance, doesn't that squelch the spirit, doesn't that limit the gift of prophecy? It's a fair question. If you travel with the folks that come with me and you ask them that question, they'll tell you actually exactly the opposite happens. That when there's a governance that happens, they are, they are just free to use their gift. What we do at Covenant Fellowship on Sunday mornings is we have a pastor at the mic and they, they listen to which prophetic words they're going to have shared. And so when someone walks up to the mic and they share a word, they unburden themselves, right? And now the pastor's burdened. He's got to decide which of these do I have shared. So governance, it frees you into your prophetic gifting. Let me close with this. Let me close with a story. The gifts are given and empowered by God to serve others, to edify the church and to bring him glory. What this text doesn't talk about, and I don't have time to address, and let me just mention it though, is that we need faith to use our gifts, don't we? Actually, with the gift of prophecy, Romans 12, 6 says to, to use your gift of prophecy, it says in proportion to your faith. That's what it says there in verse 6. So let me just end with a story. It was um, just... Uh, a couple of years ago at our church, we as pastors, we pray before the Sunday service, and we just had a, sort of an impression that we were to pray for people that were with us that morning who came just feeling like a failure. It felt like a failure, and that God wanted to minister to them. And so we, we identified that group of, somewhere during the singing, we identified that group of people, asked them to raise their hands, and, and then uh, a, a woman on our prophecy team, Ramona Doyle, who's with me, she shared a prophetic word and this is what her prophetic word was that morning Ramona said I shared a word for that group that the Lord had put on my heart during early morning prayer I had a picture of someone trying to ride a unicycle now let me stop right there if I had a prophetic word of a picture of someone trying to ride a unicycle I don't know that I would have the faith to bring it up to the mic that sounds a little crazy right is that the Lord or is it me? What we wrestle with a lot. So Ramona had faith. I had a picture of someone trying to ride a unicycle, but it was hard and challenging, so much so that no matter how hard they tried, they could only make it go backwards, not forwards. My word was about condemnation out of the first few verses of Romans 8, specifically reminding folks that the Lord himself had fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, and they stand not under wrath but under grace. And calling folks to, to, to not let their eyes be cast down in their failures and condemnation, but to lift their eyes to, to the God of hope who, by his word of truth at work in them and by the power of his spirit, would complete his good purposes in their lives. She goes on to say this. I got a call later 
from a single lady in our church. And this is the first thing she's, she told me. I am dating a guy who rides a unicycle. So that, that word, it kind of caught my attention. But even more importantly, what you spoke about to, to us that morning related to a recent conversation that I was having with him about my historic failures. And on that morning, I arrived there feeling like a failure. And your word, it, it spoke truth into my life. It reminded me that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And I was strengthened and I was encouraged. The gift of prophecy is given to, to edify the church. And we need faith to use it. Let me pray. You have just listened to a message by a guest speaker given at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.